Welcome to Cross Training, where we look at faith and practice through a biblical lens. We are your hosts. I'm Tanner Higgins. I'm Matthew Thompson. And I'm Mason Simmons. I don't appreciate you just starting the podcast all willy Dude, okay. I'm clearly not in the right headspace for this yet. All right, no, we got you got to be in the right headspace before we sit down, bro. Well, I mean, I'm in the right headspace, but we're fresh off of goofing off. Like, I, I had to cut my That's laugh true. off okay. for you to say that. Okay, but we are here to talk about biblical things. We're talk, talking about Jesus because we love him. Well, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to start off by throwing one gigantic monkey wrench into your clothes. I like, I like because, monkey wrenches. Because I want to, uh, I like to, talk, to talk up a podcast that we've referenced once already. The Every Pastor podcast that Ooh. we brought up a few episodes yeah. ago. Um, so I finally listened to it. I'm, I'm but you're not a pastor. I'm terribly, you see? Now, that's, that's exactly why. <laughs> I'm sorry, Adam Clagg and, and Brandon Johns. I'm terribly sorry it took me this long to finally get around to listening. In all fairness, I had it downloaded and ready, but like I, I listened to a lot of podcasts. So it was kind of on the backlog, mm-hmm. and I, I finally got around to it. And I was just kind of thinking, well, I won't prioritize listening to this like first because, well, I'm not a pastor. So, I mean... In theory, I'm not going to get a whole lot out of it. So I was going to listen to it because, I mean, for one, I just love hearing Adam Clack talk. And uh, Brandon, he's got a great voice as well. They, they have voices for podcasting. Not saying that we don't. But we don't. It's, I don't. We're just a bunch of Southern folks. <laughs> That's um, right. <laughs> but it, it was really stinking good. I, I quite mm-hmm. enjoyed it. I've listened to, to two of their episodes. I think one actually dropped today. We record this episode on Tuesdays for reference. Um so I'm one behind on that, but kudos to them. Yeah, good stuff, excellent stuff. Highly recommend it. It is because I think the last one I heard it was over um, pastors in conflict revolu- uh, revolution resolution. The revolution is now. And, well, even then, if I'm not a pastor, but yet we are technically leaders yeah. of the church, and so in the sense that that does still uh, that type of pattern does yeah. apply to us still. And so very very helpful. Yeah, and today's episode that they release is on lay leaders. So mm-hmm. I mean that'll be relevant hey. as well. That I mean just knowing what's going on in the church and understanding like uh like the pastoral mindset. I mean in theory that should help you. Yeah. Uh, as someone who isn't a pastor, help make life for your pastor a little easier because we should all be building each other up. And a name like Every Pastor's Podcast, that's dope. Yeah. It's a, yeah. So I just want to point out too that I, I like our name cross training, but there's been multiple times what, that we have been mixed up with physical training things. Just today, I got a message. Not going to say anything, but yet it says, "Ha, huh, thanks for accepting. How can I stay consistent in my exercising?" I'm thinking, "Hold up. Do you not even know what this is?" So this is like the third or fourth time that we've been mixed up with like cross training or some form of athletic. We should have said, yeah, uh, daily prayer, daily Bible reading, daily. Uh, what? Well, that's what I said. Devotions. Like, <laughs> like you know, I could help you with your exercise and faith, but yet the the bodily exercise. You know, I think who says it that the bodily exercise profiteth little in the scripture? I can't remember exactly where that's at, but there you go. We fat Christians over here. <laughs> so here we are. We're going to be. <laughs> it's going to be a good episode. Good episode. Right good episode. But uh, we are continuing on our John series, and we are over John chapter nine, and this is a continuation of what we're doing, and I and I'll, I've been loving it. Oh yeah, I've been loving and a little bit of heads up on this. One thing that um, I kind of <clears throat> took in reading this chapter as a whole, um, it kind of contrasts from the past couple chapters so far. My goodness, might even be every chapter so far. Uh, just my memory isn't like. Photo, photographic, so there you go. This one's really laser focused. Like it's really one it story. Is. Yeah, it I think there story. was one other before. 
about the woman at the well, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. uh, that chapter was. Ooh, but that one had the um, the Roman, uh, not the centurion. Yeah, there's like a the, centurion. Yeah, yeah, but it was just like a few verses. Yeah, it was like a footnote, though. basically. But, but, but this is a whole part. conversation, I, and I, I, I kind of, we'll get into it. This is a very interesting. Yeah. I want to know more about this guy. This guy's really cool. So it starts off uh, kind of with verses 1 through 3. It starts off with just presenting this blind man. You know, this blind man's in front of the temple. And, like, this kind of resembles back to, remember, the cripple and at the, the pool of the Bethsaida. So here we are. This guy is in the temple probably asking for help and alms and trying to get money. And the disciples, they ask him a question. They say, no, why was this man born blind? Now, I... And this is kind of a silly question to me in our, in our minds. Why is he born blind? Well, I mean, you know, things happen. But they end up asking further. It's like, is it the sin of the parents? So here's a, here, here's the thing. We, we have to take into picture a little bit of Jewish custom and, and beliefs here. Is that because of your disability, it's due to sin or a generational sin. So this belief here is that, okay, if he's born blind, it has to be his parents' fault. His parents, they must have sinned. And in some form or fashion, this can hold true in the sense of, like, say, if I'm an alcoholic and my wife is an alcoholic and we have a baby, there's fetal alcohol syndrome. So in that sense of sin, it can be a generational thing. But here it's not going to be the case, and Jesus uh, does a little bit of soul-searching and does a little bit of... uh, talking and explaining why was this man born blind. So Jesus proclaims that this man is blind so that the power of God can be seen him, be seen in him. And I think that's in verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Jesus answered, this came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. Now, here's a question I want to ask. If Jesus didn't heal this guy, would that, what he said, remain the same, that God's works would be made in him. Could that statement still apply? I think it would, but it wouldn't be obvious. One of the advantages of him performing this miracle is it it's obvious. I mean, yeah. there's no room, no room for doubt. Um, there are plenty of people, I mean, nowadays and throughout history that have had like disabilities, but have still like given glory to God. Um, and because of that disability, that glory that they give to God is just that much more apparent to those around them. I mean, uh, I know it's not exactly a disability, but one example is uh, DJ Stanley, mm-hmm. an individual um, close to all of us here that had ALS. And even through like the suffering that comes with that disease, like he he used that as a promotional tool for God. Yeah. Like he, he made it super clear. Like, I'm, like he made it clear, yeah, I feel pain. And yeah, I know that one day I'm, I'm going to die like a very inconvenient death, to say the least. But... While I have time on this earth, I'm going to suffer well. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that, I mean, if that doesn't hit you, then, I mean, goodness, what will? And I mean, Jacob Berry, I believe, is, is the name of another one who. Does he someone have else, too? No. Uh, MS. I think it's MS. Or is it muscular dystrophy? He's, he's bound to a wheelchair. Yeah, he's got a he's wheelchair and he has. Uh, his, his muscles have atrophied due yeah. to 
And a issues. severe severe speech impediment. Like yeah. his, I, I think his mom translates mm-hmm. for him. Yeah. Um, in most cases, uh, but I mean, he's on fire. He's <laughs> he's rolling down the aisles praising somebody clearly. So I mean, those opportunities, like to the world, especially to the to the faithless in in the world. Like you look at those situations, and I mean, maybe you could write it off as just being like, oh, that's just some crazy person. Like, oh, they got to have hope in something, or else they're just gonna go and kill themselves. Like that's the that's the cynical uh, non-believer. Um, mm-hmm. I would imagine would have uh, that sort of thought. So I think that, yeah, glory still absolutely could have been given to this blind person. I mean, maybe they were going to be like the, the first iteration of daredevil who knows. Uh, but, but regardless of that, Jesus decided now that this, this guy's not the Matt Murdock incarnate. Instead, I'm going to, I'm going to heal this man and make an example. Yeah. Now, after answering that, I would like to, to backpedal just a bit. Um, this misunderstanding of how sin works that was given in, in verse 2, I believe. I did want to tackle that because that's something that's still very apparent today. Like, people blame just the darndest stuff on sin. They think it's just this cause and effect sort of thing and not that, like, sin just exists in the world because of the fall because it's not like that was established in the first book or anything. But, yeah, people go so far as to, like, blame natural disasters and, I mean, the, the list goes on and on of stuff that we just attribute to. Oh, that some specific person or some specific group of people did California this California is burning because there's infidelity all over the place in California. Yeah. Yeah, surprise, surprise. There's infidelity everywhere. What do you think? That's true. Um, but that's something that happens now, but you might be looking at Bible times and be like, oh, well, well stuff was different back then. That, that's not why they're – clearly there's some reason that they're asking about their father's sin or whatever. And there is some scriptural backing. And I say that with a massive asterisk. I know there, there's a big asterisk to that because it, it comes down to how you read it and, and context. And it's, there's a, we don't have enough time to go all over, all over it here. But I will touch on enough to maybe give some understanding because you might remember in, I believe, the first episode of the series, I brought up some scripture from uh, Exodus where God describes himself. I said, keep that in mind as we're reading through um, the book of John and see, does this description that God gives himself line up with how Jesus behaves? And I haven't brought it up every single episode because, I mean, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but this is a really good opportunity to do it. So I'm going to bring it up. Um, and that scripture came from Exodus chapter 34, and I'm just going to read uh, from verse 7. Yeah, verse 7. Uh, where God's described himself, he says that uh, he practices keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So, if you cherry pick that verse out, yeah, you can make a case for clearly this dude's blind because his parents did something wrong. However, and if you want a really in-depth uh, response to this, uh, the Bible Project is currently wrapping up, uh, I think, like an eight-episode series on this. And like each episode is like between 45 minutes and an hour and a half. So you, borderline college-level thesis there if you want to check it out there. But I'll just boil it down to basically a sentence here. What that's saying is that God punishes generations as they sin. If a generation sins, they're probably going to raise up their kids in that sin, who are probably going to raise up their kids in that sin. It takes a while for an entire people group to get on the same page for God. And I mean, as you read the Old Testament, like that's self-evident. That's not me. That's not just me making claims. Like that is evident in Scripture. Well, you can see that in anthropology uh, studies and stuff like that. It's like most of the time, if a child is brought up in a home that has severe alcoholism, sometimes that child, if not a mindset is changed and if a heart is touched by God, sometimes that child will go in that path the way that the father is. And I mean, I'm not saying that 
my dad's a pre- preacher, and I followed that path. It's not that aspect because I swore up and down that I'd never become a preacher, and the Lord just touched me in that way, and He He showed me, didn't He? Yeah, and I mean, and it does. It's this concept isn't just tied to to religion either. I mean, it yeah. it goes beyond that. I mean, goodness, the the foundation of America, we established that all men are created equal, and yet look how long it took for us to let everyone vote. Like the. This stuff doesn't happen in a day, and God acknowledged that. This isn't him saying, hey, if this one dude in in your crew sins, congrats, you just earn punishment for the next three or four generations. No, it's him acknowledging, like, if there is some systematic sin going on, it's going to take a while for you to weed that out, and you will be punished accordingly. Yeah. So, so just in, in, the long, in the long side of here with, with John uh, bringing up this blind man in the conversation is that birth defects and tragedies are sometimes due to sin, sinful nature. It sometimes is. But more times than often, they are due to the general fallen nature of man. And I think that that text that you were speaking of, a generational sin. I think a lot of that has to do with that, you know, we are just fallen creatures due to Adam Adam and Eve's disobedience to God, that that sin has become generational, that we are just drawn to the flesh more time than often. Yeah. And so I, th- I think that this could be that this, that this is kind of getting in a picture realm of like, yeah, even though this man was not sinful, this, this guy was not blind because of sin, but yet... He is still sinful, and God and Jesus can do something miraculous with him, and glory can be shown through him. So the the sin of Adam has set this principle in motion, this, the the principle of sinful nature. As this man is blind, and the disciples ask him this question, Jesus gives this response, and he continues on in, in this conversation. I think it's interesting. I'm going to read it out. It says, "Neither this man nor his parents sinned." Jesus answered, "This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him or through him." We must do the works of him who sent me. While it is day, night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So there's that that uh, that peace that he claims himself to be. I'm the light of the world. He said that in the in the, was the previous chapter, the chapter before, one of the previous episodes. But this conversation, what what do you what do y'all think? This is kind of interesting that we must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Do you think he's actually talking about like? Oh, I see the sun. The sun's setting, so I still got. I don't got much time. I got. I got to do this. Do you think there's like a time crunch here that Jesus is talking about here, or do you think there's something a little bit different? I think he's talking about Revelation times. You know, I think because it says, I'm, "I must do the works of Him who sent me while it is day." You know, the times that He is here, but the night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I might be going too deep mm. into this, but this is a deep dive, so I'm going to jump head first. That's and true. That's hope true. I don't fall on my face again. <laughs> the Trinity, all three separate but one. Mm-hmm. So we can agree that you know when Jesus left, the Holy Spirit has come. So even though Jesus Himself is not here, a form of God, the Holy Spirit is here with us, like even to this day, right now as we're recording. So I think that's him trying to say, you know, the light is still in the world. You know, the Holy Spirit is still here convicting hearts. You know, we still see people saved. You know, God is still working here on earth. So we need to do our work while it's still day. And that goes back to, uh, I want to just interject a little bit of something. James chapter 2 talks about, you know, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works. You know, faith without works is dead. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to work because you have faith. You know, you don't 
you don't have faith just because oh I'm doing all these great things I'm showing up to church you know you know you, you have faith in God that that is your foundation and then because of your faith you're going to want to do the works you're going to want to go to church you're, every time the doors are open not just Sunday mornings you're going to want to tell people about Christ because what all he's done for you and so you know, I think Jesus is just trying to set a set a point that it's daytime you know and then of course he calls himself the lion the light of the world while this light's here let's let's work you know let's not just be that lukewarm christian i can see that i i, I agree with you 100 percent. and the application is completely there that like since since he is living through us through the holy spirit that there's there's a limited time within our short here time here on earth either by our physical lives either i die from cancer or if the lord comes back there's a time limit here i mean only the father knows the mm-hmm. angels don't even know this christ himself says i don't even know the father himself there's an application there i think though he's talking about his spiritual his, his physical ministry on earth you know his couple years of ministry well i think he's definitely know. talking about that as well but yeah. i think he also has you know Kind of There's a, an application for us right here, right yeah, now. For us right here, right now, because, you know, yeah. we, we don't know how long our time is here, you know. Mm-hmm. We don't know if it's going to be as soon as we leave this recording session or, you know, if we might live to be 80 or 90 years. We don't know. True. And because of that, you know, while we do have daylight, let's do something with that. Yeah, Jesus, he understood the brevity of time on earth. He mm-hmm. understood his brief. I mean, he only lived, what, 33 and a half years or something like that. And that's a short time to do such amazing things. And his ministry itself was only three years. And if you notice the way that it's kind of progressing, it seems like it's it's getting bigger and bolder, you know? I mean, one of his last miracles, other than raising again on the raising again after his death, is raising Lazarus from the dead. It's a practice run. You know, it's a practice run. <laughs> oh, man. So, I mean, Jesus understood that his life on earth is brief, and he understands, and this is one thing that he's a perfect example for us, is that, he knows that our life is brief. And so through the Holy Spirit, he kind of gives us little jolts of, I think, conviction to get off our butt and actually start doing the things that he is said to do through works. Now, works doesn't save you, but yet it shows an example of Christ, of who he is. And so I think here he's, he's setting, he, this is what he's saying to us, at least he's saying to me. Even though he's talking to the disciples, he need to be doing work. And you know, we got a short time, but I agree with you that because we are flesh and because we are brief that we need to start doing some stuff too so yeah i totally agree there's definitely a sense of urgency in in what he's saying because i mean obviously like god wants everyone to be saved i mean that goes without saying like he wants all of his creation to to love him bring glory to him he wants to have a relationship with everyone past present and future i mean in a perfect world that would be the case in a perfect world there wouldn't be sin i mean that that's what God desires. He wants us mm-hmm. to, to draw closer to him. So, I mean, yeah, he's wanting to light the fire under people's butts because he wants, he wants that word to spread. He wants, he wants people to come to him. So, I mean, why on earth wouldn't he have an urgency to his, his tone? Yeah. I mean, that, that just makes sense. So, yeah, I, I agree with you, Mason. Like, I think that goes, uh, while he is describing um, how he knows his time on earth will be short, it does go further than that. And this goes twofold and as well in the sense of like how we as humans here on earth that we have been in, entrusted upon salvation to be stewards to be people that that are examples and uh, people that 
bring Christ's name to his glory. Uh, I'm going to read uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. It says that, And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters with the Lord Almighty. Sons and daughters, man, that's like we reap the benefits just as Christ I know, equal with Christ in the sense that he, he's raised from the dead and he's glorified unto the Father. We reap these benefits as He as Him because we are ambassadors that we have the Holy Spirit living through us. And so with that, though, when Jesus says, Your kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that we are acting on Christ's benefit, on Christ's behalf here on earth. And so heaven, there's a little bit of heaven down here on earth because of the Holy Spirit working through us, that we're doing these works of Christ upon the world. Now, I think this is interesting, too. In Galatians chapter 3, it talks about the law. Now, Galatians chapter 3, verse 25 and 26, it says, But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, under the law. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So where does that come to play, you think, when it talks about now that we are stewards and that we're now sons and daughters of God, that we're not under the law? I mean, it's like Jesus said, he, he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've already had our discussion over uh, what that means, so I won't regurgitate that for the second time. But like our allegiance isn't to some written word. It is to the living word. Yeah. Simple as that. Yeah. And I think Jesus is getting here. He's like, you know, I'm the light of the world. And if we have Christ's name imprinted onto our hearts, that light of the world should be shown to all of humanity yeah. through our works. And, I mean, as we've observed so far reading through the book of John, like a lot of Jesus' ministry is just separating that, that concept out. Because, I mean, people around him, Pharisees especially, just cannot wrap their head around this idea that, like, wait, you mean we're not worshiping the law anymore? Like, well, first off, you weren't supposed to do that at all. Like, that that was never the plan to begin with, so good job on misinterpreting that. Uh, but here is attempt number two at explaining how this is all done. <laughs> so here we go. Jesus explains this man did not sin and his parents didn't sin and his blindness isn't caused from this. And he decides to do something. Jesus is doing some miracle again. And I think this is probably one of the weirdest things I've ever seen Jesus do. Jesus does some kind of questionable things of like, what in the world are you doing? But then he explains it later or, you know, it, it's kind of one of those that you just kind of like, okay, Jesus, you're, you're just kind of showing off a little bit here. You know, walking on water, bro. Come on. But here, Jesus heals this man by going by leaning down into the dirt, spitting, making some mud salve. And then puts it on this dude's eyes and then tells him to go wash in a pool. I think this is one of the weirdest things I've, <laughs> I read Jesus doing. So Jesus performs this healing by making some mud and putting it on this dude's eyes. So why? That's my question to y'all. Why in the world? Why, why, why wouldn't Jesus be like, let me touch your eyeballs and you're healed? Why do you think, is, you think there's a significance of John placing this in the text that of him making mud? Or do you think it's just kind of one of those, eh, this is weird, Jesus just kind of showing off here? I don't know. I mean, personally, when I was reading it, like, I mean, I acknowledge that him spitting in the dirt and making some mud out of it is a little unorthodox, but, like, I don't... I mean, I didn't read any further into it. Than it's not like I the blind said. man knew he didn't see it. So, I made this with the finest waters from Mount Fuji, and you have no reason to believe otherwise. Now rub this on your eyes. <laughs> 
you think we should start doing that in church? Uh, Get some mud pies in? <laughs> well, you know. Wait, wait, no, hold on. Mud, mud pies are, are, are cow poop, isn't it? Yeah. But anyway, he made, we make muds. But yeah, we're not going to put that on some like some person's lame leg. And I mean, kids make mud pies out out in the yard. Oh, that's true. But that's just us being made. But this is God. Like we're trying to heal blind people. But do you think there's children. significance behind this? Because I I, th- I, cause I got I got a little I, I got my thought I got thoughts here that I think that it could be it could be. But yeah, yeah what, what's y'all what's y'all's thoughts? Well, I mean, I don't want to, like, hijack your thoughts. Because, I mean, if I'm being honest, when I was reading it, I didn't read super far into that. So, I'm, I'm not going to... What do you think, Mason? Do you think Jesus is kind of being goofy? <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's definitely other ways. He could have easily just, you know, spoke the word. He could have easily, you know, just said, hey, go wash in the pool, you know, without the mud. Because <laughs> he said time is brief. So, why, why did he make mud? Why didn't you just be like, you know, you're healed? My only way I could think this is, is to test faith and how do you do that well with works as we've mentioned earlier you know you know if if you really think that i can do this i'm going to put this over your eyes you're going to go to this place that i'm going to tell you and then wash it off so there's one thing i would like to say that i think this is also could be a flashback I put this in my notes. This could be a flashback all the way to creation itself, to Genesis chapter 2. It says, Then the Lord God formed man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. So this could be a flashback in that sense of, like, God is still messing with dirt here. You know, he's he's, he's creating life, basically, through dirt, but yet he's also giving a life-giving thing, such as sight, to this blind man, but not also physically, but spiritually later on. But then here's the second thing. Why do you think he said, go uh, dip yourself in the pool of Salem? And I, and in scripture, it has parentheses and it says scent this, yeah. this pool, the pool of scent. And I, I, I tend to agree with you that this is where faith steps in because faith in its sense that the pool is a spirit, a place of spiritual purification and Nehemiah chapter three, Isaiah chapter eight, that there's something really important about dipping yourself into a pool. But the second thing that the pool could be parallel to Naaman. You remember Naaman? You know, he was uh, with leprosy. And uh, Isaiah... Second Kings is what you have. Yeah, but who's the prophet? Elisha or Elijah? One of those dudes. One of those dudes told him to go dip seven times in the Jordan River to be healed. So there's another deep dipping deeping, dipping into a water source to be healed. So that could be a parallel there. But here's my thoughts. I think that the symbolism is secondary. I think the first, I think you're right, Mason. I really think you're right. People are slamming doors in the hallway. But the first thought of the healing man is based on faith. You know, if the man didn't go and dip in the pool, I don't think he'd be healed. Because he didn't have faith. Yeah, he, he just had mud in his eyes. Yeah. He, he'd just be a blind dude with mud on his eyes. So I think that I think faith is very important. A key ingredient that he was like, okay, I'm trusting in this guy to go dip in the pool. He's sending me. I think that's kind of interesting, the pool of scent. And secondly, the mud, I think, is symbolic and parallel to Genesis 2. And being sent to the pool could be showing the Pharisees that he is the only one, that Jesus is the only one with authority to call and to send and to heal instead of their priestly power. Because their priestly power ain't nothing compared to Jesus' earthly power. My thought 
about the pool and going is how far is it? We don't know. It can't be far. It couldn't have it been be too far. far, but could have been the other side of town, you know, which we could have been like a mile or two away. Because, uh, you know, with him putting this on his eyes and saying, go to the pool, I'm sure it's not within seeing distance, you know. Because this event, I don't think Jesus doesn't show up in the same aspect until later. I think in a different time. So this could be a whole different day in the sense of when Jesus shows up again in the chapter. And so it could be far, it could be close. Mm-hmm. But the reason I can think I can see it as because with him wanting to try his faith, he's not just going to have him walk just right down the road. Because, you know, that, that's a little easy. Jesus wants to say, if you really want your sight and you really believe that I can do this, you know, walk to this without you know and here's here's where i'm really trying to go with this if you can go that distance whatever distance it might have been without you know wanting to just wipe it off because it's uncomfortable or go stuff like the that. distance oh my gosh. you go the speed sorry okay. that's the first thing you said that's the first thing that came up you don't know that song no i do and i'm disappointed in myself okay sorry Boom. but like if he can travel you know however far it was because I'm sure having mud, even if, you know, even if you can't see, he still has, you know, being able to feel like on his eyelids and stuff. That mud could not have been comfortable. I'm sure. I don't like that. Like, there's face. really no way. So, if he could go, you know, however far it was, wash it off, you know, without having the, you know, the temptation to just wipe it off because it's uncomfortable or things like that, uh, that shows that he was willing to, you know, trust him and put faith in him. Yeah, I never thought about that. Because, I mean, surely there would be some level of temptation. Like to wipe the mud off, mm-hmm. yeah. Because I mean, just that uncomfortableness. Like it, I'm sure it was like just getting real dry, cracky. Yeah, and as like, depending on how long he was, yeah. which to me, I wouldn't think he'd wait. And there's got to be that thought in the back of his head, like, well, surely, like the point of this is that I'm I'm washing my eyes because like the this blindness is what I'm washing away. So maybe maybe I can just wipe off some of this mud because it's really uncomfortable. Some maybe some of it dried in a way that it's it's stabbing one of my eyes every time I blink and it's just really uncomfortable. Something like Jesus, that. you put some daggum pebbles in the dirt in the mud. Yeah. So that's straight mud. And there's some some beetle poop in here that I'm, <laughs> I'm not really enjoying. So maybe I can just wipe some off. I never thought about that. That's that that very well could be true. I don't want to read into the text and say that, but yet I mean there could be I mean yeah it definitely yeah. doesn't show but I would just like because it says, which translates to be sent. Yeah, so it doesn't say how far no, or where. No, it definitely doesn't say how far or anywhere like that. But when I, I think you, of it. This is our lack of this is our lack of actually going back and, and doing some investigation. Because we probably could look at a map and see where this pool is at mm-hmm. comparative to the temple. So that's our lack of knowing. But so you listener, you could look and email us or whatever and tell us that it's not far or far. But either or, he's a blind man with mud on his face going to a pool, stumbling around for water, trying to clear his face and and he gets sight. So that's what happens. Mm -hmm. He stumbles around. He gets sight. What? Is this the old way of face cleaning? Getting rid of the pores. <laughs> oh, no, no, yeah, it's a mud mask. It's, it's a, a mud, mud mask. mask. He's, clean, he's cleaning his pores. I don't know that. No. That was awful. But uh, so th- this man, he he gets sight, and then in verse eight, uh, his neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, "Isn't this the one who used to be sit who used to sit begging?" And some said, "He's the one." Others were saying, "No, but." He looks like him. He kept saying, I'm the one. So you had people like, they saw something different. It's like, is this the same guy that was blind? Or was he, wasn't he begging earlier? So they saw a difference. And so here's a spiritual application that I kind of saw that we could take all heed from this is that 
the people in the temple around him saw a difference in this man. They saw something. Because, I mean, a blind man, you, ain't gonna be, you can tell a cripple, you know? He's going to have a cane around and stuff like that. But yet a blind man, I mean, they didn't have shades back then. He wouldn't wear sunglasses. So, I mean, a blind man isn't going to look much different than me and you. He's not going to walk different. So there's not going to be a big change. But yet people saw a difference. It's like, is this the same guy? And I think with us, when we do what Christ has told us to do and he sends us places, just like in Jeremiah, Jeremiah says, here I am, send me. You know, he's willing to go with the Father. And then when Jesus is knocking at our heart's door, it's like, I'm, you know, just do what I say. You know, it's like if you ask me into your life and you ask me to change you, I will. His life was transformed after he obeyed what Christ said and people saw a difference. And so I think this is a good testimony for us is like if we obey what Christ says, we should be transformed in a way that people should recognize a difference in our lives. Small interjection. I was going to look up how far that guy would have to to walk, but I didn't want to spend too much time just sitting on my phone because, well, we're recording. Uh, But I did find an article from 2004. Um, Archaeologists identified traces of what they believe is that pool. So, I mean. Interesting. The, the pool does exist, and you can go there if you if you travel. Who knew? Maybe. The Bible is true. Yeah, it's in the what is now the. <laughs> Who would have known? Who, Who would have thought the Bible's true? <laughs> yeah, and if you want to if you want to see it for yourself, all you gotta do is travel to the Arab neighborhood of Silwan. So, I yeah. probably walked by it. The, you the know, when I was in Israel, I probably walked by it probably and didn't even know it because I mean, there's like. There's a lot of religious historical things all over that Dagum city. So, yeah, but there's there's a little extra proof in case scripture ain't enough for you. Yeah. Right. I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, 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 you're I fine. Was, I mean that was a fun little discovery there. So the next part is where we get in with the whole uh, the yep. dudes being the kangaroo court courted. Oh yeah, I love this I whole love thing. This. I, mm, I dig Dude, it. this guy's spitfire. <laughs> I love it. All right. So regrettably. We don't get sassy Jesus in this chapter. We don't. We don't. But we get sassy recently healed a blindness man. Dude, I love it. And I'm okay with it. I'm so okay with it. It's good stuff. You know, I, I believe it was uh, I believe it was in Sunday school. I think this is what I was trying to think of earlier when before we started recording. Uh, we were talking about like why do we why do we why do you read scripture? Mm-hmm. Like, what's your purpose? And, like, do you seek spiritual enlightenment? Do you seek knowledge? Is it just out of curiosity? And when I answered that question in front of the class, I was just like, I'd say it's a mixture between curiosity and knowledge seeking at the moment. Because, I mean, obviously, you, you go through different phases and mindsets uh, reading scripture. I mean, it's a very complicated book. Anyone can get different things out of it. Uh, this read read through of, of the book of John that we've been doing has illuminated so much in scripture to me like so much stuff has jumped out that like I never caught before because not only am I reading the book of John to say that I read the book of John I'm reading it while also looking for things to talk about looking at a different piece of scripture like oh does this tie into a certain other area of scripture because I feel like I've read something like that in the past let's let's research this like I'm I'm really I'm looking at scripture in a way that I've never looked at before because I'm looking at it a way that allows me to speak into this microphone and not just fill dead air so much humor has jumped out to me which I've made that clear throughout recordings. Like that, we've laughed about sassy Jesus. We've laughed at the phrasing of Pharisees asking if uh, Jesus is going to kill himself. Like it, we laugh because it's funny. Because there's humor in here. Because we're made in God's image, and God had a baller sense of humor. 
has a baller sense of humor. Yeah. Therefore, we have baller senses of humor. You get that right. You may not find us funny, but yet I laugh at myself every morning. There we go. We're all oh, jokes. That's sad. <laughs> but we're about to get more humor because this dude who has been healed of his blindness drops some bars on the Pharisees. Heavy. So the good old ever so hyper righteous Pharisees, they see a big old conundrum here in verse 16. Uh, and they say Jesus can't be from God because he, he does work on the Sabbath. So we've, we've already had this conversation before. Jesus does a work on the Sabbath. And they're like, well, well you, can't, you can't do work on the Sabbath. And they say if he is a sinner then, how is he able to do these, these works? How is he able to do these miracles if he's a sinner? So they're already making him a sinner because he does something on the Sabbath. So it's like how can he even do that? So they've already chalked him up to be a sinner. Yeah, and importantly, uh, the very end of that verse, verse 16 says, and there was a division among them. Mm-hmm. So there, I mean, there is, well, I mean, like I just said, there's division yeah. being being made here. There's uh, a bunch of the Pharisees are just like, well, he's doing works on the Sabbath. What, who, who gives a crap what he's doing? He's he's breaking the law. That's that's not right. This, this guy's uh, a heretic. And then you have the other half, I'd imagine Nicodemus is on this side going, well, if he's sinning, how is he pulling off this stuff that yeah. we could never even dream of doing? And Nicodemus has already pointed that out. It's like he can't. Like the only only people that can do these things is if they're obedient to God. And so here we have this guy named Jesus does something on the Sabbath that is clearly something miraculous that people that only that obey God's will can do. But Jesus is a sinner because he's doing it on the Sabbath. So how can he do these things? It must be of the devil. Yeah. You know? And as I'm reading this, like I'm, I have this visual in my mind of like these two, uh, we'll, we'll say halves just for the sake of the, mm-hmm. the picturing in my mind. Uh, the two halves of this uh, group of Pharisees just arguing, kind of yelling at each other, saying, well, he's he's doing miracles, so this can't be sin. Yeah, but he's also, he, he is sinning. So of course he's sinning. Like what what, what is this madness? So finally one of them is like, guy, 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 shut up. Let's just let's just ask the dude, and they ask him in verse seventeen. They say, "So they say again to the blind man, what do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes?" And he said, "He is a prophet." It says verse eighteen says the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. So you have someone that are just grasped straws. They're like, "Oh, this is breaking my brain. This can't be right." I mean, clearly the Pharisees are correct here. Like we we can't be wrong. So. He wasn't blind before. He was faking it. He was pulling a Stevie Wonder. <laughs> I just want to point out, too, I think this is awesome, Which because the blind man, he spoke the truth of what he knew, that he's a prophet. He didn't know Jesus because Jesus healed him, and he went to the pool and yeah. didn't see him again until later in this chapter. So he spoke the truth. He spoke from his heart saying, oh, he's, he's got to be a prophet. He is of God, basically saying that. And I want to ask you all this. Would you all be brave enough when someone says, who did this for you in the sense of when someone asks us, like, is Jesus really real? Are you able to say, are we are going to be able to tell the truth? Like, yeah, he's the son of God. And like this man has some kahunas and speak the truth. Or do a lot of people back down like, oh, I don't know. And I think there's a lot of people that are, are scared. Yeah. And, and, and in, in this situation, we'll talk a little bit further, but yet they're scared of being excommunicated from whatever... Um, Type of group they're in. Oh, I'm going to lose my friends because if I if I speak that my belief and my faith in Christ, and I say He's real, 
If I say he's real, I'm going to lose some friends. Yeah, and let's let's get down to that scripture yeah, that we can discuss. Because um, he goes on in verse 19. Uh, the Pharisees asked them, uh, this guy's parents, says, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his, aunt, uh, his parents answered, uh, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. I just want to point out that they don't sound like good parents. No, yeah, that's... Not, well... Well, let me ver- okay, read yeah, verse 22 continue, continue. and then we'll get into it. Uh, it says in parentheses, His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. Now, it's easy to to really just dump on these parents. I because, know, I mean, I hindsight is twenty twenty. Uh, you had a really great opportunity to stand up for Jesus, and we have plenty of songs about that. So Stand up, uh, stand up. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> but... I can sympathize because even if even if these parents let's assume right quick that the parents believed because I mean we don't have this information um, or new let's say new because if if they truly believed then I would I would I would say that they would stick up. Well, no, let, let's go all okay. the way, all all the way, just okay. for the sake okay. of this argument. And if we want to make that other argument, we we can approach that. But just continue, the, continue, what, my lad. Uh, let, let's assume that they believed that at the very least a prophet did this. All right. There's no reason for them to believe that they can get into heaven without being a Jew. You know what I mean? There's a conflict, I believe. that I think there's an argument to be made that there's a conflict taking place. Because okay. maybe these people believe that, okay, yeah, this clearly a miracle took place. Okay, but, I see what you're getting at. But, I mean, if they believe in, in the law, then, I mean, they're, they're damning themselves by potentially getting themselves excommunicated. So maybe they're thinking that there's got to be a way to not deny this miracle but also not get excommunicated. So clearly there's got there's got to be a way that this works out. And they don't want that, that pressure on themselves because they don't, they don't think that they have the ability to figure out that solution. They still see the 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 Jewish righteous community law yeah. as over Christ. Yeah. Because, I mean, why yeah. wouldn't you? I mean, Jesus is still in the process of dismantling that. So, yeah. like, I can sympathize. I'm not saying that they're on the right. Don't get me wrong. I, the, they definitely dropped the ball there. But I, I can I can see where they're coming from. This belief that, like, well, I can't get myself excommunicated because that, I mean, that's damnation, isn't it? Like, the, there's... There's got to be a conflict. Well, there. actually, I looked it up. I was kind of curious too. I looked up kind of like the Jewish law of like excommunication. So apparently, like there's three grades of excommunicating. So like there, the first grade, like you get kicked out for like a little bit, like for a weekend or something like that nature. And then the second grade, you get kicked out for a little bit longer, and then you lose some privileges in the sense of your Jewish upbringing or whatnots. And the third, you just get kicked out like a leper. You get put out into the background of like you do not belong so it's like there goes my coffee cup without coffee so it's basically saying you know if so i'm wondering if there's like if this is like a first offense second or third offense i'm, I'm sure this would wind up being a level three well i don't know because they kind of figured the way Jesus they're acting is. the way they're acting yeah i can see it being a level three type like being excommunicated this is a no takesies backsies excommunication right here so maybe either this is like a third offense for them or like the pharisees are like we're skipping the first and second, going straight yeah. to the third. <laughs> I feel like it's a zero tolerance policy for the Pharisees at this point. Because I mean, Jesus has already set them in the in their place mm-hmm. enough times that I'm sure that their their emotions are getting in the way of their the way that they normally um, do these sorts of things. Yeah. Which I mean, of course, this is all just opinion, but I I think there's a strong case to be made there. 
But with that with that statement that they make, they say that he's of, of age. Just ask him. They're shoving the blame and the questioning back to the son. And to me, as a father, that's just hard to do in the sense of like, well, I don't want to get in trouble. So there he is right there. He, he, he He's of age, however old he is. It doesn't make mention. Just if he says something wrong, it's on him. <laughs> I was like, man, that's not really loving. So, it's how, and so that goes back to the situation of hand. It's like they're more concerned about their status than they are about so, the people that someone that they love. Well, I would assume they would love. I hope they would love them. But yet their actions speak louder than words. So they're more worried about that. So the question we should be asking ourselves, would we ever deny him like his? And I, and I think that sometimes we would, I think sometimes we do in our actions. I really do. I think sometimes that we have that state of mind of like that we deny him by our actions instead of our words. We say that we wouldn't deny him, but yet sometimes we do in, in, our, in the things that we, that we do or don't do. So here's a potentially spicy question. It might just be a very easily answerable I like question. I don't know. Do you think that you could equate this instance of these parents, in theory, not denying Christ, in a way they are, you, the argument could be made. Do you think that it has a similar standing with Peter denying Christ? I don't think so. Because Peter was really vocal about it in the yeah. sense of, no, I never knew him. No, I don't know him. I'm not with him. But them, they just kind of passively yeah. said, mm, I'm not saying anything about it. But the thing is, though, oh, where is it at? It says that well, I mean, there is when the, you do when you when you know to do good and you don't do it, that's sin too. Mm-hmm. I can't remember exactly where that's at. So, I mean, they knew the truth. They probably know the truth because the son probably came home afterwards, or at least he talked to his parents beforehand and said, "This this this prophet, this guy Jesus, did this for me." So the parents probably knew. I'm going to assume. It. I'm not going to read too much into the text. But I think they it might is knew. safe to to say that they knew. I just I like putting little arguments out there. But yet they knew the truth, but yet they did they knew what was good, but they didn't speak it, so that's sinning. That's still sin. They knew so they still did wrong. Peter actively denied Christ. That's still wrong. So are there different levels of denial? I think they're both wrong. Well, <laughs> they, yeah. they, both yeah. sucky people. Agreed. Agreed. To a human level, yes. Yeah. There's well, different the main, spiritual now. The main reason I ask that question is because like Peter's denial of Christ is like such a big deal. Like it's talked about all the time in church. It's a common sermon title. Well, not title, you know what I mean? A sermon subject. So I don't know, I just kinda wanna put this instance on that same could stage. It be, could it be due to his association and his level of association with Christ and the severity of him denying him vocally versus these parents' association probably not even really meeting Jesus and knowing I, Jesus well, but yet I, they're like, uh no, I'm not gonna talk about this because this is I think that is relevant because I mean Peter it's such an egregious offense because I mean goodness, he's the most boisterous of all the disciples yeah. and he, Well, he's also the one that Jesus said my church will be built on. Yeah, there's a lot riding on him. Yeah. Yeah. Peter was, I mean, just for lack of better words, he was the foundation after Christ left. Yeah. Whereas these parents were just brought along because the Pharisees were like, well, maybe this guy was never blind in the first place. Uh, But I do think that like the the crux of the argument, like this, this is not a denial and therefore it should be treated with with that severity while while reading the scripture. So continuing on, the, the, the Pharisees do what the parents suggested and interrogate the son again. And so they say uh, in verse 24, is it verse 24? 
That's where it starts, yeah. Yeah, yeah in verse 24, it says, The second time they summoned the man and who had been blind and told him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. So it's like, give God the glory and tell the truth that Jesus is a liar and a sinner and he has a demon. You know, it's, it's like... Come on, give your loyalties to God. This man, Jesus, he's a sinner. But it's ironic. You know, it's funny <laughs> it's because so ironic. the first time I read that verse, it made absolutely no sense to me because I'm just sitting here like, wait, so that now they're telling him to glorify Jesus because, wait, who's the because sinner? Because they're assuming he's a sinner. Yeah, like, like their logic was so backwards, it didn't even click in yeah. my head what they were saying. I was like, okay, this verse makes no sense. What's going on here? And I had to read it a couple times. I'm like, Oh, the Pharisees are stupid. That's what's yeah. going on. All right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. I get it. And here, sassy blind man throws his first truth bomb here, and I and I love it. He says that I was. He says I don't know if this man is a sinner or not, but all the thing I do know is that I was blind and now I can see. And so he doesn't shove blame because he he doesn't really know Jesus. I mean, he just knows that this man has to be a prophet or has to be someone of God. He's like, I don't know if he's a sinner or not, but the only thing I do know, and I think this is amazing, I think that we can all say this, I hope I hope we can all say this as Christians, is that I don't know. You know, there might be questions in the Bible. It's like, I don't know, but yet I do know one thing. I was blind, and now I can see. And I love that. I love that statement that he says that. So the Pharisees, they, they ask him some more questions. They interrogate him, and they asked him in verse 26, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And the blind man, he says, I've already told you guys, and you didn't listen. And it's, it's very funny because it sounds like Jesus. I mean, if, I, if, it, if we didn't say blind man, it, it sounds like Jesus speaking here. Why do you want to hear it again? I've already told you. You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? Oh! So it's like he's already throwing out the bomb of saying like, wait a minute. I thought you didn't want to be a disciple of Christ. Do you? I mean, if you're asking me if you want to know the truth, I'll tell you. I mean, I thought you didn't want to. I thought you wanted to kill him. So I, I, I love that. I love that. And the Pharisees' response to that is curious, and I think there's discussion to be had over it because in verse 28, they it says, "And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses.'" Yeah, mine says ridiculed, and, I, and I was just like they they basically said, "Well, hold on a second. We're the greater guys. We follow Moses. We're, we're disciples of Moses. We are the right ones. We're the ones in the right. Is that not some idolization right there? Oh, if I ever hands hear down. It? They're, put, they're putting Moses on the pedestal of God. I mean, I respect their honesty, but that's some that's some damning honesty. Yeah. <laughs> the idolization of Moses is very clearly when you look at it in the next verse, because it says, We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. But if you remember back from a few chapters ago, didn't he they try, said, to, try to say he's from Galilee? Yeah. Like the, the Messiah is supposed to be from Bethlehem. This guy's from Galilee. And they were completely wrong about that. But now they're saying, we don't know where he's from. You know, we we don't know. It might be Galilee. It might not be. But but God spoke to Moses. Uh, you know, so, yeah, exactly. We're in the right. God spoke to Moses. We don't know about this guy. And, and so they like it's one of those things that's like that they don't know it. And they can't figure it out, so they just didn't chalk it up. Like, we don't even know, hmm. Jesus. We don't know where he's from. He's just a, a dude from who who knows? Who cares? You know. And I, and I love the response again. The blind man comes out, sassy blind man. He says in verse thirty, "This is this is some kahunas right here." He says, "This is an amazing thing." This is amazing, guys. He says, this is an amazing thing. The man told them, "You don't know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes." 
We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does the, his will, he listens to him. Throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. And I just like, he's basically saying, if you can figure out the things of Moses and you can figure out these things, but you don't even recognize where Jesus is coming from and saying, I don't know. I don't know. And he's throwing out some truth bombs here. Yeah, and it, the beautiful thing is, like, he is speaking fact. Mm-hmm. Like, this isn't just faith-based logic. He's using the Pharisees' logic against him. It's like, yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, sinners can't do this amazing stuff. You're right. If if he was a sinner, he wouldn't be able to do this stuff. But you see, he is doing this stuff. So clearly, there's something else about him. Yeah, the, you know, Pharisees all the time like to bring up history. He just throws it right back he at him. Throws the like, history back like, at him. Yeah. You know, yeah. nobody's ever done this before. Yeah, this is an educated answer, <laughs> and it's so educated that I, I guess it must have just stopped the Pharisees in their tracks because they don't even try to give like a um, an eloquent response whatsoever. Because yeah. verse 34 says they answered him, "You were born in utter sin, <laughs> and would you teach us?" And they cast him out. Yeah. But, but I, I want to point out those two heavy statements real quick because I think they're fascinating. So. Verse 30, the blind man basically states the unbelief and ignorance in the face of the evidence is more of a miracle than his cure. So the statement addressing, I, I, I did a little bit of commentary research here, and I didn't realize this, but the statement of addressing them, yay, is a state is, a, is an emphatic statement and may carry a degree of, like, he's pointing out, it's like, you guys are ignorant. <laughs> and so this blind man that was begging just earlier is basically telling the, the, the wise teachers, the Pharisees, like, you guys are idiots. Like, y'all are just ignorant to this. It's like, I thought you knew, you know? And the second part in verse 31 through 33, the scriptures do say that God is not obligated to hear the prayer of a sinner. You know, in in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 15, in Psalm chapter 66, verse 18, it does make mention as like, you know, it's, you know, God isn't obligated to hear the prayers, uh, the prayers of sinners. He's not obligated to those things. But with this knowledge of the scriptures, the blind man proved that their claim that Jesus quote unquote was a sinner was completely false because Jesus doing a miracle proves that he is a man of God but yet they deny the scriptures and they say they know the scriptures I think that's interesting and so all this and like you said uh, Matthew that they just res- respond and like uh, well you you were just born entirely into sin and, and, and we're, you can't teach us and cast them out yeah. and, I, and I think I think this is a, a third degree casting out of like yeah. You showed us up, and so now I'm going to be so PO'd that you're going to be excommunicated for life <laughs> out yeah. of the temple. And, I mean, that's that's like debate class 101 there. If you manage to corner someone so hard that, like, there's, I mean, they've clearly lost the argument. They have no ground to stand on, but they just refuse to admit they're wrong. That's when personal attacks come out. Yep. So yep. they're making that statement like, oh, yeah, well, you're a sinner. Get out of here. <laughs> it wasn't even a good you're response. excommunicated. <laughs> it wasn't even a good response. It was very lame. It was a low then, blow. And then the action continues in verse 35. You don't even get a chance to, to really breathe before all that action takes place because uh, it says Jesus heard that they had cast him out. So he's, he's learned about this excommunication taking place. Um, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And this previously blind dude answered. Uh, he said, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? So he's making it clear like he, he's ready. Like he's, he's, he's so stuck polite. his neck out. I mean, he, he got excommunicated, so he's looking for someone to believe in now. Uh, he's so polite. He says, sir. Yeah, and then verse 37, Jesus said to him, You've seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, 
I believe, and he worshipped him. Then Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? (laughs) (laughs) I can just imagine someone yelling it from the distance, like, Oh yeah? Are we blind? And then Jesus said to them in verse 41, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. So I think our, our final discussion should be over that last verse there. Like, what mm-hmm. what what does that mean? I'm not going to lie. When I first read this, I had to read it several times. Oh, yeah. Agreed. I was like, uh, Agreed. what? That was a little bit of a, a mind yeah. twister. And even read it now, it's I'm still having to like get it yeah. straight in my head. And to me, it's it's kind of, it sounds almost, and, and I, know, I know it's not this, but yet in my mind when I was reading it, I was like, wait a minute, I thought Jesus was saying I'm the light of the world and... And then he made the blind man to see. And so to me, that's the right path. But those that claim to see don't see. And those that don't see do see. How's this work? <laughs> How does this work? So here's here's an example of how I take it. I think this is a good way to illustrate what mm-hmm. I think is taking place with this, uh, what Jesus said there. And feel free to correct me if I'm wrong because this, this might be the wrong way to illustrate it. But here goes nothing. When Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Oh, I'm not okay. I, I, was, I was like, right. okay. I Maybe, I'm on, the right Maybe I'm on the right track here. Maybe I'm on the right track. Okay. It's not, Maybe. it's not that when they ate that fruit, sin was just created. All right. Cause they were naked. I mean, they were already naked like that. That is true. Correct. The innocence was still there with yeah. them. When they ate, this wasn't the tree of evil. This was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When they ate, the fruit, it's not, it's not like their their clothes fell off and they were like, oh, darn it, we don't have any clothes. No, they realized that they were naked. This, what Jesus is saying here, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. This is speaking of, like, ignorance. Like, well, and blindness well, as sin. You would have no sin. Well, yeah, I think that still goes along with it. Because being aware of who Jesus is, you have no excuse. Like... People in the world right then that had not met Jesus yet, like, I mean, there's no reason for them to believe because, I mean, they haven't been exposed. All that they have is the, the Jewish law to go off of. Like, they're, they're stuck on that. Like, Jesus, is, he's creating a new movement here. Um, and he says, but now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. That acknowledgement. Like, you have no excuse because you've witnessed. Did, does, that, does that follow? I mean, I don't know if that the, um, the fruit... Going back to Genesis, there that might not be the best way of illustrating it, but I mean that's. that's I'm trying to think through this because this, this, I'm like even. I mean, I know it's not one to one. Yeah. Full disclosure, but I that that's a, a way that I kind of illustrated it in my mind. I think because I mean the fall of man and this example. Yeah, this, again, so this is a one. very hard thing. This is this is a hard text. Yeah. Because it's like it, it doesn't make logical sense to me, but I think it goes to the point of like I I, I wrote this in the notes and I think this is I think this is probably the closest thing we can probably get to what Jesus is saying. And Paul says it in Romans chapter one, verse 21 through and 22 says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. So they, they said they were, they saw things, you know, they said they knew God. Uh, they said they knew him, but they did not honor him or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And here's where I kind of get the, that this is where Jesus is talking about claiming to be wise they became fools. And so I think this is kind of like those that said, oh, yeah, I see it. I see it. You know, I know it. Yeah, probably not. Yeah, I think you're definitely on track on that last point right there. Those who claim to see 
claim pride and ignorance. But those who say, Lord, I don't know, uh, I cannot see, I am blind to your things because your ways are greater than ours. Those are the ones who have really accepted who he is and mm-hmm. that he is, that Jesus is who he said he is, that he is the man who knows, every, or the God, the Son of God, the man that knows everything. You know, he is the Savior that has come. And so I think the way I take this is for those who are blind are the ones that can say, I don't know. But those who are the ones that say, oh, we see, those are the ones that say, I got it figured out, like the Pharisees. Okay, yeah, yeah. And because they think they've got it figured out, they have that pride within them, and then there there you have the sin. That goes back to the garden, too, because they said, oh, I can figure it out. You know, the devil told me I can figure it out, but then once they, quote unquote, figured it out, guess what? Sin remained, and sin became a permanent thing within their life, for sure. I can see that parallel. Sweet. Yeah, I can see it. There you go, Matthew. There's your tag. <laughs> There's your tag, big boy. But I think this is a fantastic story, and, and and it shows me that this blind man is pretty cool. I want to know this dude. I want to know, know this dude's name. But this is the second to last miracle that Jesus does before he is put on trial, and he's interrogated himself, and he throws some truth bombs too. So this is one of the last things that Jesus does, at least recorded in John, in the step of Jesus doing miracles in this book before he is executed and raised again on the third day. So uh, that's uh, John chapter 9 for sure. I love it. Dope. Yeah. Uh, it was refreshing. Well, I say refreshing as if the other chapters Jesus are is also refreshing. refreshing. Yeah. All the chapters so far have been uh, refreshing, but this was a, an interesting change of pace with it being more, again, laser focused on one story that goes throughout the chapter. It was, it was very different going verse by verse without having to like change gears there. That was a fun yeah, conversation. Yeah. I like uh, it. But, as you said, that that covers chapter nine. Uh, join us next week. Uh, we're going to talk about sheep. Sheep is they're they're going to come up. Stupid sheep. More excellent metaphors. We're the sheep. We're we're stupid people, and that's okay <laughs> because we got a real smart shepherd. But that's but that'll be next week. Until then, Tanner, give us the magic words. Say it, coward. Peace out.